Yes, yes, guys. We are back with another episode, episode 17 to be exact. And we have another special guest on the show. She is a Philly alum, a Drexel alum, and a Harvard SVMP alum who has participated in the Drexel Incubator, founded and was a CEO of an ed tech startup, and previously worked at LinkedIn, Volta Charging, SAP, Boost Linguistics, and Johnson & Johnson. Please, guys, help me welcome Shania Smith. How are you? Such a pleasure to see you again. Thank you. Thank you. You read my whole resume. I didn't know you was going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we, we, we got to do our due diligence. We got to know, and we got to let the audience know who we're dealing with. Yeah, that There's part. There's nothing to play with. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here and have a conversation with you guys. I was saying before how y'all got some good episodes already um, going. So, you know, the pressure's on, but I'm excited to have a conversation and um, hopefully, you know, share some share some information with your viewers. For sure. And I know you, you're going to apply the pressure, so there's no doubt about that. But let's definitely dive in. Right. Talk to us about what it was like growing up in Jersey and in Philly and, and having roots between the two and also having that, you know, Latin, Afro-Latino roots within your family as well. Mm-hmm. We getting into it. Um, you know, it was, it was, uh, I would say, you know, honestly, a lot of the way, the reason why I'm the way that I am is because of my background and because of my family. So that's one, got to give credit. Um, And then, yeah, so I spent like the, I moved, you know, pretty much between South Jersey and Pennsylvania for a number of years, spent kind of like the first half of my life in South Jersey and Camden. Both my parents are from Camden. Um, And then, uh, which is a city right across from Philly in South Jersey. And then um, during like the second half of high school is actually when I moved to Philly. So I did high school there, stayed for college. And then after I graduated, I moved to the Bay. So um, both, both, you know, areas, I think I was able to benefit from being around a lot of different types of people. I have been in, you know, two different types of school systems. I went to public schools and then I went to a charter school. So I got to see some of the differences um, in regards to like the educational benefits that I got. Um, And then also, you know, I went to different public schools that also, again, showed me how important it is to have access to different resources and, and what that does for children. So, you know, when I was in Camden, we didn't have as many resources. Um, and then I moved at one point to like the suburbs of Philly and was at a really good public school and we had everything we needed. And even at the age of, I don't know, maybe it was six, seven, eight years old, I could notice, you know, the difference in terms of what was being provided. So I feel like that's something that's always like stuck with me in terms of, um, you know, a, a conversation around equality and how important it is and how um, it can impact you, you know, at a very young age. Like, you know, people think that kids don't notice, but I feel like kids really do notice. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of what that was like. And then, you know, I was blessed to go to Drexel um, for free. So that's actually why I ended up staying in Philadelphia. I didn't necessarily have my hopes like set on any particular school or on staying in the city. It was just like God provided me that opportunity and I got a scholarship. So I went, had a great undergraduate experience, I feel like. And then, um, yeah, when I graduated, I moved back to the Bay and um, went to work at LinkedIn. And um, now I work at Carta. So that's kind of been like a 
overall journey in short. And then growing up, I mixed, right? My mom is Puerto Rican, my dad is black. Um, I would say I definitely had influences from both cultures, but I spent for sure more time with my dad's family. Um, and that's just because my Puerto Rican family, a lot of them are still in Puerto Rico. So I wasn't able to really be around them as much. Um, but obviously I had the influences of my mother um, and my aunt and uncle as well who lived near me. Um, so, you know, both, both groups of people, I feel like powerful people, both people are, um, you know, gen types of generations that have been able to survive and live, you know, without. And so I feel like that's something that I've carried with me that it allows me to feel like I can't be touched or like, <laughs> I can't, I'm, I'm not really fearful, you know what I mean? In that regard, because I come from um, you know, two, two types of people, Puerto Ricans and, you know, black people and African-Americans who have been able, like I said, to withstand a lot of, um, injustice and things like that. So yeah, that's how I'll talk about that. Well, let's have a lot of Spanish. Let's not run, let's not run that. Listen, listen. <laughs> George like messing with me because I'm not fluent speaking. You know what I'm saying? The the history's all there, but listen, I, I never got the link. <laughs> but listen. I think, but I will say, I, I will say, my kids, my kids will speak Spanish. Like by any means, I'm going to figure out a way for them to learn the language. So it's good me, but you know, not the next generation. Listen, listen, we're gonna get you up to speed. We we gonna get you up to speed. Need to, need to. <laughs> Education definitely critical. Education definitely critical. And it's it's great to hear about the resilience that you were able to gain from those family experiences. And also that you were able to kind of be able to pick up on those differences at that young age. And I think that actually brings us to my my next question. So it seems once you got to college, right, you you had this humanitarian lean to you, right? Like you were very much involved around um, homelessness prevention. You were a treasurer at Drexel and you were involved in groups like Big Brothers and Big Sisters of America. So how did that impact your entrepreneurial mindset? And then what role did that play when you decided to create Enviewer? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it played a big part, I would say. Um, I think that, you know, like I said, when you are like, I feel like exposed at a young age to things that aren't right. And my mom was always very honest and she always had very honest conversations with me at a young age. So I feel like I was always sort of wiser in that aspect. So then when I got to high school, that was actually when I had um, thought about, you know, sort of what I would want to do for a career. And my first inclination was actually to like launch a nonprofit because I thought that that was the only way that you could do good. I didn't understand the, um, I didn't understand the world of like B Corps or like building businesses that also had a social impact to them. Um, so when I was in high school, that was sort of when I started to like formulate that thought, like, okay, maybe if I want to do good, then okay, I'll launch a nonprofit. And then of course, everyone kind of just was like, well, you're not going to make any money and you know, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, well, why, why can't I make money and do good? Um, so then when I got to college, um, did a couple of internships, started to learn about like the startup world. That's sort of when I started to hear and learn about how you could build a business around um, both profit and, you know, that has a social component to it, social impact component to it. Um, 
And so starting in Bureau was very much so rooted in that. Um, and I had already been working at uh, the Boost Linguistics, the SARP you mentioned before, um, to just sort of get my feet wet and uh, learn from those founders who were working on that company at the time. Um, and during that time is actually when, or after that, I should say, um, is when my co-founder actually approached me and she reached out and was like, hey, I have this idea. Like, I know you kind of are like involved with the startup world and like, I want to get your sort of per- perspective and take on it. Um, and that's sort of where the conversations around Envure began. And we sort of incubated the idea for like a year straight before we even, you know, publicly announced anything. Like we spent the first year literally just um, processing it, thinking about it, talking to people, getting feedback. Like we we definitely weren't um, necessarily like, okay, we have an idea, let's just go and build. We were like, okay, what kind of information can we collect and stuff like that? So um, that was a, you know, a great learning experience for me because it was the first time I was like literally building something from the ground up, you know, everything from the mission, the vision to the name, you know, building a team with my co-founder, raising money. Um, and we were doing that all while being, all while being students and while being two female founders and while being two female minority founders. So you could kind of imagine how those conversations went when we were talking to people, you know, automatically, it was always a question of like, why are you guys fit to build this? And we're like, why are we not? Um, so yeah, that was kind of the journey to, to doing in and, and all of those things, I think sort of prepared me. Um, to do that first, to make that first jump. I feel like the first jump is the hardest because you're the most scared, you're the most intimidated. Um, but then you start to see like everybody else who building companies around me, they they just as lost as I am. They, they're they just as, you know, uninformed. What they might have over me is, you know, access to different networks and resources, but, you know, we'll figure it out along the way sort of was our perspective. It's so crazy that <clears throat> you you mentioned in viewer uh, as Steph posed a question, because it, it hits home for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when uh, we we spoke we spoke about it, um, and I'm sure you can recall on the last day of SVMP, Harvard SVMP. For those who don't know, Harvard SVMP is uh, or stands for Summer Ventures and Management Program, where um, if you're a college junior, uh, you could have the chance to take uh, this, you know, experience up at the Harvard's business campus um, and learn about the case method and, and go through that week-long experience. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an alum, as I mentioned previously, Shania is an alum, and of course, Steph is, a, Steph is an alum. He put me onto the program. So shout out Harvard SVNP and make sure that you apply if you're a college junior. Now, getting back to this, on the last day, of Harvard SVMP, you made the announcement and it, it blew everyone away. We were like, in here, what? But it was amazing to see the fact that you were able to take that initiative. Let's, let's, let's stay right there, right? What made you wanna make that announcement? And when did you realize that was the right timing to launch in Europe? Yeah, that's actually so crazy because I kind of forgot about that. Um, (laughs) That's crazy that you remember. But yeah, I remember that vividly because I remember everyone going up. It's 180 plus people in the room. All the hard. Do do, do you do you remember who set that off? You, right? (laughs) 
yeah, of course, of course, of course. So I think I think it was like, you know, we had got through, I don't know, I feel like we got through a few people. And like I said, me and my uh, friend and co-founder, we were incubating the idea, but I don't even think we had the name for Embiorba yet. So I think when I had got up there, I think I said something along the lines of like, hey, I'm working on this idea. I don't have a name for it yet. But, you know, this is what we're trying to do, yada, yada, yada. And then I kind of said what I said. But, yeah, I think I, what made me want to do that was just seeing everybody else starting to get up. And I was nervous. I was super nervous because we didn't have that much concretely, you know, I hadn't talked about it publicly to anyone. Um, even my friend who was from Drexel, she was at the program with me. She was like, I didn't know you were working on something. I was like, yeah, like, you know, that just ended up being the day that I, you know, first like acknowledged it. And I think, again, that's part of like the jump is like, you know, it's just a lot of like, okay, this is my first time doing it. So I knew like, okay, if I don't bring it up right now in front of these people, like, I'm not going to be at SVMP again next year. You know, I had to just kind of like take that chance and introduce myself in that way. So, yeah, that's crazy. Remember that, though. (laughs) How could I forget? So it seems like you've been, again, given the the very lengthy resume um, that we were able to share at the start of the show, you've been involved in a number of different spaces, right? going from being able to create your own company to some of the experiences you had out on the West Coast through Volta and LinkedIn, right? So given all of these experiences, how did you know that Carta would be the right next step? Yeah. So um, I think, you know, the all of my whole journey, I would say, has been rooted in learning. So when I did my first co-op, which is like our extended internship at Drexel, when I did my very first one at Johnson & Johnson, I got there and I was like 19 and it was my first full-time work experience and everybody I was working with was like way older than me. And I kind of knew from there, um, I was like, eh, I actually didn't I actually didn't necessarily see myself going to J&J first, but I did. And when I got there, I kind of just knew, all right, this isn't really for me. You know, they're doing great work. They're literally saving lives, you know, at Johnson & Johnson. Um, but I kind of figured out quickly, okay, this isn't for me. And then from there, I was like, okay, well, I need to figure out what is for me. Because I would have two subsequent co-ops after that. The next one I did at SAP. And then the last one is the one I did at Volta in California. So um, I would say, you know, my journey through all of those experiences has definitely been rooted in learning. And just like, I'm very honest with myself. So I'm able to recognize like, what I like, what I don't like, what I'm what I'm looking to learn, and et cetera. And I usually use that to guide me. So when I was at J&J, that's sort of when I became really immersed in, um, you know, I had, I had time on my hands. And I just started looking at tech companies and started to look at startups. And that's sort of where I got introduced to entrepreneurship because um, I didn't really have anyone, like, in my family, like, you know, building companies or anything like that. So I got exposed to it that way, um, literally just reading stuff online. And I was like, what? Like people in their 20s are like building companies and like raising millions of dollars. Like how, what, where, you know, I had all those questions. And then leaving J&J when I got back on campus, um, I was like, well, I need to find out. I'm like, none of my friends are talking about this. I need to find some people who are into this too. Like it's gotta be somebody else on Drexel talking about it. And that's when I got, you know, 
introduced to our incubator, our, you know, we did have a school of entrepreneurship, but I was in the business school at the time um, and graduated from business school. So I started to just find a network and learn that, you know, we had a pitch competition and Drexel had resources. And, you know, I feel like we actually did have um, a good, you know, foundation for entrepreneurs at Drexel that I didn't even know about my first year. Um, and so when I got back on campus, I just sort of saw those networks and those people out. Um, and, you know, from that point on, I feel like I've always just been in like, okay, I, I know I want to get into tech. I have this interest in startups because I'm interested in entrepreneurship and the idea of like creating something just sounded really dope to me. So then, you know, I went on after J and J to go to SAP to do, you know, to work in tech. That was like SAP is comparable to like a Microsoft, you know, a big multinational like software company. And then after SAP, I was like, okay, I did the tech thing. Like now I think I want to go to a startup or, you know, I want to stay in big tech. So like, where's the best place for me, for me to go? Oh, duh, like Silicon Valley. So I started exclusively looking at companies that were out there and I was interviewing at, you know, a few big tech companies. And then I also ended up interviewing at Volta and I just knew like, oh, without question, I would have double the experience that I would get at the startup because I would be able to do every and anything um, which wouldn't have been the same case if I went straight to a big company. So that's what led me to go to Volta um, ultimately. And then when I finished my last co-op with them, that was around the time I got recruited by LinkedIn to come back post-grad. And, and I think the fact that you were able to clue into this space, like this is being something that you wanted to do at a young age. Um, this was this was before the Giants um, DNI inclusion wave that we've begun to see now in these days. So, like, uh, just a quick follow up. You know, how did you, how did you navigate those spaces? You know, what was it like to be a minority in those spaces? And um, do you feel like now having those experiences, you are able to better mentor the next generation that's coming after you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely say, again, you know, starting when I first got involved in the space, again, I was like, started to really get interested when I was like 19, I'm 25 now. So six years, this is a lot of change that's happened in six years. And definitely when I started to go and work at different places, um, you know, it, you know, became pretty apparent, like, you know, there wasn't going to be a lot of representation. So I think it was just something that I realized I was going to have to get, unfortunately, comfortable with, at least for the time being. Um, SAP did have, you know, we did have a, a head of diversity and inclusion. Um, we did have some because of they, they, it's a tech company that was based just outside of Philadelphia. So they were able to like, benefit from the fact that they were located near a diversity, which is like not the case for a lot of other places. Um, but, you know, of course, I was like the only, you know, minority on my team at SAP. Um, the person before me actually was a minority as well. He was Latino, but he went on. I basically replaced him. So then when I came in, I was the only one. And then when I went to Volta, I was like one of two, I think. And then like, you know, stuff like that. So it's it's always I, it's always typically if I go anywhere, it's a handful of us or less, literally. Um, so it was something I think I had to get comfortable with. And it was something that, um, I feel like I just had to like step into that, you know, reality. And I will say, you know, I never necessarily had like, uh, any feelings of, um, imposter syndrome. Like that's something a lot of people talk about and I never really had that issue. And I think a lot of it was also just again, rooted in like 
my mom being who she was and just like, I was always very empowered from a young age. So even if I was in a room, which has happened with like all white men or, you know, it's all white people in the room and we're all like, I just was never scared. Like I, I was just like, all right, this is how it is. It, I was, it was definitely something I would recognize, but I would never see myself as like lesser or anything like that. Um, and so then when, like I said, when I went to Volta, I carried that with me, you know, when I was again, the, one of the youngest people there. Um, and so I more so just saw it as, okay, how can I show up and like represent being that I'm the first person on this team who looks like me and make a good, um, you know, impression and let them know, like, they should hire more people like me, essentially. So then, you know, fast forward, I've just like used that as I've gone on to work at different places to have to, you know, encourage other people to enter tech, like a lot of people, a lot of people now, since I've gotten into tech, five years ago, um, have now gotten and really involved in tech. So I think that's really exciting. You know what I mean? Like, we're all now entering into this into these industries. Um, and I think that it says a lot, you know, a lot change, change is coming. I feel like, and this is pulling up, you know, that was like a change going to come song by Sam Cook. Uh, that's real. That's real. Um, <laughs> it's so exciting to hear that you're at Carter now. Um, and we know that Carter has provided services that allows investors to manage their cap tables. Um, but for our audience, could you explain the additional um, central roles Carter performs for investors and why these services are so critical? Uh, like literally break down what Carter is to the people. I'm, I'm sure they would love to know. Yeah, yeah. So I will say first, I'm not a spokesperson, but the way that, <laughs> yeah, the way that I think about Carta, um, you know, really is just an overall solution for, um, you know, equity management. And, you know, I would say a leader in providing, you know, um, ownership solutions. So um, that was something that I was de definitely very drawn to when I left LinkedIn. I, I had an interest and have had a growing interest in just like fintech. And um, so I was interviewing at a few different fintech companies, Carta being one of them. Um, and I had never really thought that I was going to work in like the financial like sector at all. So, but it would have to be fintech, I would say, for me to do it. Like, there would have to be some tech in, involved with it. Um, I don't think I could jump, you know, all, I'm not going to say never, but I don't think I could jump the whole ship and end up, like, at a bank or something. But who knows? Who knows? Um, so, yeah, the way I think about and describe Card is, you know, essentially, you know, it's a historically been a software company that helps founders specifically, particularly, and investors manage their cap tables, which your cap table, I learned a lot about this literally over, you know, the last six to eight months or so. I don't even have that much literacy around it, which says a lot um, because I was a founder. Um, but your cap table is essentially just, you know, the list of people who own, who have ownership in your company. Um, and so that in and of itself, I think, is a very interesting place to be in because we have, I think, you know, so much ability to sort of see, uh, you know, who really owns these companies and like the next, you know, billion dollar unicorn and things like that. And I think that's sort of a conversation that's, you know, happening as well that started to happen over the last two years or so is thinking about, okay, how can we get more diverse entrepreneurs? And now everyone's saying, like, how can we get more diverse founders? 
more diverse investors on people's cap tables and making sure that they're able to get in on deals, uh, you know, at an early point as well and just sort of have, um, you know, play a, a hand in that. Um, so that's sort of how I think about it. You know, a tech company that helps companies manage that process. We do a lot of other things as well. Um, and then, you know, Carta X is our, is our new sort of exciting thing, um, that Henry, our CEO has written about, um, and has very, you know, plainly sort of stated, you know, we're really trying to figure out how we can help other industries outside of tech, um, tech being the leading force, of course, but how can we help other industries outside of tech become more, um, you know, open to providing all of their employees with equity and with ownership, um, not just tech, because in tech, it's been a norm that, you know, if you work in tech at a private or public company, you get equity. But outside of that, in many other industries, it's usually reserved for like C-suite or, you know, the senior vice presidents who get ownership and then everyone else doesn't. Um, and so I think that's something that's really motivating to me. And that's one of the reasons why I came to Carta, because I'm like, imagine if all of these companies, you know, every every company who's not a nonprofit, right, has an ownership structure. And so imagine if they could understand how easy it could be to provide their employees, not just with the salary, but also with, um, you know, equity as a additional form of compensation that they can carry with them and, you know, build wealth around. So that's sort of how I think about it overall. And um, one of the reasons why I came to the company. Yeah, uh, this is all great game and we greatly appreciate it. Uh, I want you to also elaborate on something else too. Uh, Throughout this COVID experience, throughout the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the death of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, RIP, to them and and other people that have been affected by it and um, have been hurt by it, right? There seems to be uh, a shift in the way some of these white investors think and and how they're willing to put money into the the black community of black founders, right? And and there's not only been a shift in that, but to your point. Uh, how they want to increase their diversity numbers. Talk a bit about that and 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 what are your thoughts on the overall shift as we progress moving forward? Yeah, yeah. I think it was, I think it's it's unfortunate that it took the events of 2020 to make it happen. But at the end of the day, I'm glad it's happening, even if it's sort of like we're forcing their hand a bit. Um, or maybe it feels like we're forcing their hand, depending on who you ask. Um, because again, it wasn't as much like the, the decisions that companies have made in 2020 alone, it was like a, a switch flipped, like, you know what I mean? From Apple to like so many, you know, individuals who, you know, were carrying a lot of wealth to companies who are, you know, who have a lot of money that they can allocate resources to. I feel like it was like a switch with like, everybody was like, you know, we're standing with y'all, we're putting money where our mouth is, et cetera. And I think it's unfortunate that it took those lives to be lost for that conversation to happen and for people to actually put action behind it. But at least it happened. Um, At least it's happening. Um, And so I think with that, we just want to really, you know, I feel as though we just got to make sure that we're continuing to um, keep the pressure applied and not let, and, you know, not let them think like, okay, we've forgotten, you know, thanks for that donation we can move on and act like there are no other issues. But yeah, I feel like a lot of, you know, inequalities were brought to the forefront and now, you know, 
I think also black people and minorities in particular are realizing we have a very strong voice if we use it together. So um, that's sort of what I think about it. So I think we just have to keep the momentum going. We have to, you know, um, keep the conversation going in all areas and um, carry it that way. Uh, thinking, thinking on that last point about momentum, I want to bring it back to the conversation around Carter just for a brief moment, because you, you did allude to some of the other spaces that the company um, is expanding in. And we understand that your role currently today looks at a lot of those other spaces in arenas like renewable energy, like cannabis, like wellness. Cannabis in particular is interesting because of its attachment or its um, involvement with you know, minority populations and now being rebranded, co-opted and, and being introduced into this, this new world as, as something entirely different, right? What are the implications for those same minority communities that you know were once penalized from from selling the very same product, right? So, you know, how how is your your you know your day to day structured, and you know what are the roles and activities that you do that also contribute to Carter's larger growth? Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's really interesting. Um, I feel like we could have we could have such a long conversation about the cannabis and like, you know, who's controlling that. I actually had a conversation with a friend recently who she's based in D.C. and she was telling me how she's trying to, you know, get a license um, and, you know, trying to open up her own dispensary. And she told me, I think the wait list for her to even do that is like three years out. Like she's planning right now. Like that's how hard it is. And that's just the time you have to wait. That's not even including the hundreds of thousands of dollars you have to have ready to pay for the license. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, we could, we could talk a lot about that, but um, yeah. And then to, to speak on what you were saying before. So yeah, a lot of those industries is sort of what I'm focusing on right now as part of my role. Um, and again, it's one of the reasons why I think it's very exciting because um, you know, these are industries that, again, have traditionally not provided, you know, aside from cannabis, because that is such a new industry, like so, so new, like every 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 state in the U.S. is not even legalized yet. But, um, you know, the other industries, you know, like renewables, like, um, you know, even the financial market, if you think about like banks and stuff like that, like a lot of times don't provide, you know, entry level employees with equity. Um, and so I think there's just a lot of room. And I think if, if, you know, we can really just, uh, which is what we've been doing, we've just been proving how easy it can be to provide employees with equity. Um, hopefully other companies will get on board and, um, you know, I, I watched this interview that um, my CEO did and he pretty much just said, like, you know, imagine, you know, historically people would work their entire lives to retirement. And the only thing they'd have is the money that they made from their salary, you know, like the checks and the money that they took home. Imagine if instead of just that, you would have equity as well, which, you know, over the course of decades would compound like so crazy um, and imagine what that, you know, additional form of ownership could do for generations. And that could be a new asset that, you know, you could pass down to your family members. So, you know, I think that's really something that, you know, I'm excited to work on and figure out how we can continue to make it again, accessible, continue to let people know, hey, this is something that every industry can do. This is not specific to tech, you know, or technology everyone can get on board. And um, I think a part of it is it's a big, a big piece of it is around education, because again, if you're not in tech, you don't even know that you 
that is something that you should have access to or, you know, is important to have access to. Um, so I think if we can get both sides to uh, get on board and, you know, get employees to advocate for themselves and get, you know, um, companies to see why it is a value add for them on both sides, um, that will help to speed things up for sure. Great facts. And we're going to wrap this one up. One final question. We promise. We promise. Uh, here at Dream Shakers, we're all about paying it forward. So what are the three pieces of advice Shania would give to her younger self? Good question. Um, three pieces of advice. Um, I would say... First one that came to mind is like, you know, like sort of sort of like your path has already been written. So like don't stress. Like, you know what I mean? I'm a I'm definitely a believer in like what's meant to be is gonna be. So like kind of don't worry. I feel like it's it's a greater purpose at hand. So that's the first piece of advice is like it's already been written. Like, you know, just live your life day by day. Second piece of advice. Um, then you need three pieces. Let me think. Uh, oh, well, you know, I'll say this one, you know, invest earlier. You know what I mean? <laughs> like learn about investing earlier. It's crazy right now. Like, you know, with TikTok, like my, my 18 year old cousin, she'd be sending me little TikToks of teenagers talking about going to buy. I don't know if y'all are on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, but like te- literally teenagers going to buy you know, stocks and stuff like that. And they're giving each other game on TikTok. So wild what technology could do. But if I could tell myself that, I'd be like, Shania, take this, you know, a little bit of money you've been making and like, don't buy sneakers, but buy some stocks, like buy some stocks. I would tell myself that. And then let's see, three is, um, I'll say just like, you know, being, one thing I would just encourage is like just being open to like, you know, having a lot of different interests and chasing a lot of different paths. Like I feel like, again, traditionally it's been that, you know, people will have one career and like, that's what they do forever. And like, that's sort of like the admirable thing. But as we kind of spoke about earlier, I've worked in so many industries now and I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be the type of person or I'm just naturally not the type of person who is like, you know, satisfied with just knowing one thing, I'd definitely much rather know a little about a lot of things um, and be very well-rounded in that regard. So like I've worked in healthcare, I've worked in, you know, renewable energy, I've worked in FinTech now, I worked at a social media company, if that's what you want to call LinkedIn. So it's like, you know, I feel like that's a really important piece to my journey um, is being able to say I've worked in all these different spaces. and it's, I think it's a value add. So I would say like, keep being curious like that. Like hopefully my run is not over yet. Like hopefully I enter even more new industries in the decades to come. You know, we, we still get started though. So we'll see what happens. Oh, we definitely appreciate you. Definitely appreciate you. Yeah. That's a wrap. That was the end of today's episode. So again, thanks for dropping by. Thanks for being a part of this. And we look forward to following your journey and thank seeing you. what's next. Thank thank you for the, thank you for the blessing, Shania. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. That was a great interview we just had with Shania Smith. She dropped a bunch of jewels, really gave us that insight that we was looking for on this episode. Wouldn't you agree, George? 
Yes, sir. Shout out to Shania. You did a fantastic job, and we appreciate you coming on by dropping those gems. That's a big fact. That's a big fact. Well, we still have one additional piece of information to share with you, our audience. And of course, that comes in the form of the level up. Now, mm. we have three opportunities for you this week, much like we had three opportunities for you last week and three opportunities the week before that. And to kick it off, we have a product management intern role at MongoDB. MongoDB is seeking talented students to help them build a next generation database platform. As an intern, you will join a team that is helping the world's most sophisticated organizations transform their industries by harnessing the power of data. Over the course of the summer, you will get hands-on experience in building deep tech products, such as distributed databases, understand the hard work necessary to consistently innovate and build a lasting business, and get a crash course in product management at a top tech company. You are a fit for this role if you are in the process of receiving a bachelor's or master's degree in computer science, computer engineering, information science, data science, or related fields. You are an excellent communicator, both through verbal and written means, and you are curious and have a strong desire to learn and adapt. The internship will be based out of New York City. Next up, we have an associate account manager intern role at Amazon. Now, here's some more about this internship. Amazon Advertising is recruiting for their associate account manager internship program. Here, interns will learn about the digital advertising industry and how it relates to a dynamic e-commerce environment. Over the course of the summer, you will partner with internal teams to become a knowledgeable partner on advertising solutions, perform data analysis to deliver actionable insights and recommendations that influence strategy, and meet project deliverables by working backwards to provide a solution to an existing business need. You are fit for this role if you can quickly adapt to changing priorities and generate innovative solutions, you have a practical and creative approach to problem solving, and you have solid organizational skills, including prioritization and time management. This internship will be based out of New York. Finally, we have a research intern role at Adobe. Adobe Research is looking for forward-thinking minds who are excited about making new discoveries in critical research areas that stand to impact Adobe's products and their future endeavors. Research and engineering internships will be provided for the spring, summer, and fall of 2021. Over the course of the summer, you will pursue a research problem that pushes the boundaries of a specific field under the direction of an Adobe research mentor. You will develop new algorithms, run experiments, and produce demonstration prototypes. Finally, you will document and present your work both verbally and in writing. You are a fit for this role if you are a current PhD or master's student in computer science or a related field, and if you have sufficient research skills and background 
in your chosen subject area. This internship will be remote. Now, those are all of the opportunities I have for you all this week. I'm gonna hand it back to George so he can close this out. Those are great opportunities, Steph. We appreciate you for dropping the gems. EP 17, don't think we're gonna stop now. We're just warming up. Come on by for the next episode next week. Stay blessed, enjoy your weekends, and we'll see you soon.